and welcome to Podcast Me Anything and Ask Me Anything for all things podcasting. I'm your host, Ben Cloy, and I'm joined here in the studio with Matthew Passy, the podcast consultant. Matthew and I wanted to move the conversations beyond the podcasting 101 topics and move into the intermediate to advanced podcasting strategy to reach your goals, to interact with the show, submit your questions to be answered live, book a podcast live with Matthew, or find the notes from today's show, head on over to podcastmeanything.com. Welcome back to another Podcast Me Anything episode. We're here with Matthew Passy in his brand new studio that he's getting ready to launch in New Jersey. So if you're in the New Jersey area, stay tuned for information coming out from Matthew on what he's got up going with that. But today we want to dive into some news for some, again, Spotify continues to dive into a world where they're redefining podcasting and fixing some of the issues that most other podcast apps and platforms have kind of ignored. And this one pertains to advertising and they have now like pop-up advertising cards that when you advertise on a podcast, it'll pop up with the offer and allow you to save it so that you can go back and hear and talk about it later so that way you don't have to remember the promo code or the link. And it brings that that action that you want to take from that advertisement right to the forefront. What did you think when you first saw this news announcement out of Spotify, Matthew? Again, this is one of those things where I'm like, why haven't we seen this sooner, right? This is, not that I'm saying it's easy to do, but this should not have been this long for the imagination to get there, to get to this point, right? We're starting to see this already popping up on streaming services. You see this on YouTube videos and other streaming services on your computer all the time, right? If somebody is doing an advertisement, uh, you want to be able to interact with that ad. You want to be able to do something with it. And, you know, for a long time, we've always thought of podcasts as being just audio, but with dynamic insertion technology, you do have a lot more freedom, a lot more things that you can do. It just took the right platform. So can this be done across every platform? No, but what gives Spotify the edge is that it is there, you know, it is a proprietary platform. You as the user have to be logged in to use it. You know, they have a lot of control over it. Don't get me wrong. You're not going to see ads like this popping up on your podcast necessarily. This is going to be for Spotify uh, network ads and, and exclusive shows. But this will come to more shows and this offering will be expanded to more people. Uh, in the future. But yeah, why not make it easier for the advertisers to capture the audience's attention, get those results, get that uh, return on their investment um, so that they want to spend more money advertising to uh, on podcasters. And don't get me wrong, you're going to see podcasters advertising themselves using these ads. And so it's just going to be, uh, oh, you like listening to this show? Click here and subscribe right away, right? Like, This is not just for brands and products. This is going to be for services and other shows and other podcasts and bands and playlists and all sorts of fun stuff. What I was interested in when I first read that article is it uses the words of how they describe the future as interactive podcasting. Now, this is in new language. It's people have often talked about the future of podcasting being in its interactive nature or this lack thereof interacting that you're often talking into a void of nothingness and you don't often get a lot of feedback from the listener. And Spotify sees this gap and they're closing it. And back in the sp- summer of 2021, we I went to Podcast Movement. And part of that presentation was an app called Fireside, which had the same bells and whistles of trying to make podcasting interactive. But it was not anything that seemed like useful when I first went into it. And this seems like it's attacking that same problem, but actually doing it from a place of making it useful of creating an ecosystem where the host has a way to interact with the user base that isn't weird. It's not some other ecosystem that you have to learn, you have to sign up for. It's not something extra you're getting into your app. It's right already there, curated in the experience that Spotify is doing. So I continue to get excited about 
Spotify taking these problems that the other platforms try, they almost get lost in trying to solve it and they make it worse like we've talked about Apple and Spotify is having more, if we think of the words that Apple used when they remove the headphone jack, courage, Spotify is ex- showing courage to go into these areas and redefine it the right way. And in many ways, what Apple's tagline is, thinking differently, is what Spotify is doing within the podcasting world, even though leave, Apple, leaving Apple behind on their own tagline. You know, a lot of my clients are in the financial space. They talk about their investments. They talk about companies that they invest in. They talk about you know, how they preserve their market power. And the word that I, I heard for a long time, and the first time I heard it was probably five or six years ago, I was like, oh, that's a strange word. And I finally understand it is a moat. Right. And what is a moat? You know, when you think of a moat, you think of a castle. You think of that body of water surrounding a castle that makes it difficult for invaders to get inside of your castle. They've got to go through the bridge, right? Lower the drawbridge. Otherwise, they're just plummeting into the water between the castle and and the rest of the land around them. Well, for companies, a moat is that same idea. It's what protects your market, your share of the market from your competitors. And so in thinking about moats. The reason why Spotify is doing so well is their moat is their already massive established audience. They've already got a huge network of people using their app, right? They built that up for music for years and years and years before podcasting really became a big part of it. And so when they introduce something, it's much easier for them to get traction with it because there are already users there. Right. This is the same thing that happened with Clubhouse. Clubhouse was cool, right? You have a you have Clubhouse, you go live, you do live audio. But then Twitter was like, oh, we could do that too. And now Twitter Spaces is blowing Clubhouse out of the water. Why? Because Twitter already had the moat of having billions of people already on their platform. Same thing is happening with all these social networks that pop up all the time for podcasting. Right. I, I love all these people who try to create a social network just for podcast podcasters to connect with their podcast audience. But when you try and tell people they've got to subscribe to or play on another social media network, they don't want to. Right. They've already got their attention on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever it is that they spend time, their friends, their colleagues, their family. Right. I don't want to have to go to a podcast specific app when all of my other news and content and family and friends and all those other things already exist on another platform. And so what makes Spotify successful every time they roll some of these features out, which in some cases are totally unique in other cases, like, oh, that's kind of being done somewhere else or like, but right there, their innovation always seems to work because they have that huge inherent audience that makes it attractive to the sponsors and the marketers and the artists and the podcasters and everybody else. You can do a, you know, it's kind of like if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear, it doesn't make a sound. Well, if you do something really, really cool on a podcast network where there are no users, is it going to work? No. So when Spotify does these things, it tends to work because they have a chance to test it and try it and get market traction. And so therefore they're able to find success. And, And to your point, Apple Apple is not taking advantage of the fact that they had such a huge swath of the market. Um, but Spotify is, is going after it, taking advantage of it. And again, the fact that you have to log in and they know who their users are means that their analytics and what they're telling advertisers they're getting is more robust, more comprehensive, and more appealing. I thought of a question that we haven't dove into, but I'm wondering if you brought it into your consulting strategy for people launching new podcasts. 
Have you incorporated a podcast advertising campaign into certain podcast launches as a way to leverage growth in a very simple targeted method that is, isn't a lot of complicatedness that comes with initially, like if you're to do like a Facebook, Facebook campaign, the Spotify advertising ecosystem is fairly normalized in the background. It's fairly easy to work with. It's simple to pay for 250 bucks. Have you seen that being incorporated yet in a launch strategy? I would say there are definitely some folks who are doing it. It's definitely something that I've thought about and haven't had the time to really commit to it. But um, it's certainly something that in 2022 we want to do aggressively, whether it's buying ads on the Spotify to you know get early traction to a show, going to an overcast and buying a month worth of ads on that platform. I found that social media marketing doesn't necessarily lead to a lot of direct new listenership or downloads or subscribers. Uh, you know, it's better for getting people into a Facebook community or off to a page or more likes and this and that. Um, so I, I don't tend to, you know, really focus on there. But I think your point is advertise podcasts on other podcasts, right? Learn to take advantage of an advertised cast of a Spotify. Heck, even just reach out to other podcasters and see what their rates are and, and see if buying it ad makes sense. What I will tell you I'm seeing a lot more, though, is podcasters launching multiple shows and taking advantage of their existing networks to build up their shows. You see this with a lot of the big media companies, right? The Daily, for example, whenever they launch a new show, they put the first episode of that show in their big, massive daily feed that goes out to millions of listeners. And then they say, oh, if you want to keep listening, you got to go subscribe over here. Great. That works. I've got a client doing this right now. He has two shows. Every time he launches a new show, he brings it into the main show feed, tells people about it, advertises it, promotes it, and then says, but, you know, after a couple of weeks, you're going to have to go subscribe over there. And he's able to build up traction pretty easily because he's got a nice size audience who are going to be interested in other stuff he wants to produce. So, yeah, we need to do more of it, um, but it's certainly a good idea. And people should be thinking about that uh, when they launch and, and just if they're looking for more growth. And I think from a business point of view, because if you're investing in a podcast, you most likely have the capital that I think it's such an easy, quick win to get your podcast that you're investing money into, especially when you're investing money from the very beginning to edit and produce these episodes, you're looking to try to get some initial ROI on those episodes as quick as possible. So that way you can keep the momentum. You can keep anybody higher than you happy that this podcast that you're producing, investing hundreds of dollars in each week actually gets momentum and just throwing a few extra hundred dollars at a problem and having an ecosystem where it's already proven there's already millions of listeners that can get access to it. It just seems like an easy win for someone that's just getting started to get kind of past that pod fade that happens by episode 10, invest a few hundred extra hundred dollars and create some additional momentum from the market and not have to leverage time, which is the hardest thing to leverage in podcasting because it takes a lot of energy to keep going. This is a good way to get back into that as a, as a quick win in a world where it's about survival of keep going and publishing. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree. The, the one frustration is just the measurement of it, right? It's if you're not using the right tracking technology, if you're not using the right analytics, or or frankly, if you're going to go the route of trying to advertise yourself on other shows, or promote yourself on other shows that aren't your own, finding the shows that have the right audience, making sure that those are effective, trusting in the analytics that you're getting from the show that you're working with. So I, I understand some of the trepidation in it, but um, certainly it's, it's worth thinking about and considering and, and investing some time and money into it. So let's take a pivot here and go into a question and deep dive. We're going to marry these two together and we're going to create a baby in them. And we're going to talk about having the idea of guest remote recording. So this initially sounded like a conversation like, 
doesn't everybody understand how to do remote recording? It's the most fundamental part of podcasting. Zoom is the most fundamental standard within video recording. We're using Riverside to record this podcast. And there's so many different nuances that are like sub basement levels deep, well beyond. Because like if you start with Zoom, like the basic setup is there. You're transmitting the data back and forth over the internet. And you're hoping that the feed comes through in a way that it's got every bite of every word so that there's no static. And below that, there's so many different more uh, bite-sized information to try to help with that because so many more elements just than Zoom go into it. But Zoom does get everybody connected. But as we've learned, not everybody has the resources on the other side technically to do a good podcast recording. So Matthew, when you get this question, how do you manage re guest remote recording for the highest quality when they may not be primed to set up a podcast recording like we are as podcast hosts? So I used to do this uh, as a presentation at podcast conferences, right? The art of remote recording your podcast. And this was before there was a Riverside. It might've just been right around the time that Squadcast had really gained some traction and first came out. When I was doing this presentation, I don't even think I was talking about Zoom. I think it was always Skype, right? Zoom kind of came onto the scene a little bit more aggressively in the past two years or so. I'm not even sure uh, how long Zoom technology has been around or podcasts have been using it, but um, you know, there, there's always been a ways to connect to other people online using voice over IP technology. But as you've said, the technology has gotten better. The platforms have gotten better, but the underlying execution remains the same. And so I've always talked about it in several different tiers, right? The gold standard of remote recording is what they call a tape sync. So if Ben and I were recording each other, I'm the podcaster, Ben might be my guest or in this case, vice versa. Ben would spend money to hire a producer to go sit with me, put a microphone in front of my face with a recorder, hit record, and then Ben and I would talk on the phone. That's how NPRs do it. That's how the New York Times do it, right? That's how major media outlets record their podcast to get the highest possible quality is you put a producer in front of them. Why? You get the local recording, so you don't have to worry about internet, you know, bites missing or things like that. Uh, and secondly, you've got a producer right there who's going to make sure the mic is in the right place. Somebody hits record, right? All, all those good things. And then the phone conversation just to, to have the conversational flow, but you're going to get the highest possible quality. That would be the gold standard. If you could do that, great. Can everybody do that? No, it's really expensive, right? Tape syncs are not cheap. Uh, and, and truthfully, not everybody has the budget, not everybody at the time. And, and in a pandemic, not a lot of people are willing to have a stranger come to their house with a microphone. Or, or, you know, not, there might not be a lot of producers who want to go to a stranger's house with a microphone. So that's a little bit difficult. I'll be honest, we're thinking about ways to fix that particular problem, but that would be the actual gold standard of doing all this. So then what's next? The next is, well, if you can't get a producer to do it, why don't you record it yourself? So a lot of folks will have guests basically talk to, talk to them over the computer using AirPods, earbuds, whatever, and then they'll just hold the, the smartphone up to their face and hit record on whatever app is built into their phone that'll record their voice. Again, it could be a good solution, right? The mics on these smartphones are pretty solid. However, uh, you know, you, the guests might not know the best way to hold it. You really can't check the levels. Uh, mid-recording, right? You're not seeing the view meters bouncing on there necessarily. Um, if they get a call in the middle of it, you might lose some of the recording or something like that. Uh, so it's not a great solution. But again, if it if it if you do it and you do it right, you have a solid recording that is not subject to internet connectivity. It's recorded locally. It works, and the person sends off the files. Um, now, is it asking your guests to do a lot in some cases? 
Sure. Not everybody wants to ask the CEO of a Fortune 500 company to, hey, GM CEO, you mind holding up a phone to your face while you talk to us over, you know, over Zoom or something like that? And they might look at you like, no. Plus, if you're doing video, it might look a little silly. Um, but that is, you know, again, anytime you can get a local recording, that's always going to be your best bet because it's not subject to the same problems that internet recordings are subject to. In fact, every podcaster that does a show, whether it's Riverside, Squadcast, Zencaster, Ringer, Skype, Zoom, I, I don't care. If two podcasters are working on a show, they've got a good microphone, they should always be recording their mics separately, whether it's into a Zoom device, a MixPre device, a Tascam, or even just a, a Audacity session running on their computer or Audio Hijack or something like that. There's no reason why when two podcasters who know what they're doing, who have microphones are together, they are not recording themselves. Even if you don't wind up using those files, it is good to have a backup. In broadcasting, two is one and one is none. And so if you're relying on a platform to do everything for you and it doesn't go well, well, now you got to re-record. So it's always good to record yourselves locally. In fact, right now, Ben and I are talking over Riverside. I got my Zoom P, uh, P8, I should say, recording my microphone as well. So if anything were to go wrong on Riverside, I can still pull this file up, send it off, and boom, we've got a podcast. Now, an easier way to do all of this stuff is to use platforms like Riverside and Squadcast or Zencaster. The nice thing about these is they are they are creating local recordings. Ostensibly, the way they work is their browser is recording each microphone locally from that computer, from that device. So Ben's computer is recording his microphone. My computer is recording my microphone. The files get sent up to the cloud after we're done. They should be perfectly synced. That's how they're all supposed to work. Disclaimer, they don't all always work that way every single time. This isn't me taking a knock at any one of those platforms individually. It's just that something can go wrong. I have clients who love Riverside, hate Squadcast. I have clients who hate Riverside, love Squadcast. There's just, when you're doing this kind of technology, it just seems like there's always something that could possibly go wrong. Whether it's a person who hasn't updated their browser in 10 years, whether it's somebody whose computer is running too many processing, whether it's somebody who hasn't cleared their cache or their memory, like, or it could just be a corporate firewall that's like, ah, yeah, I'm not a fan of this program recording you locally. Sorry. No, not going to happen. It's hard to know why some of these platforms work for some people and don't work for others. So my suggestion is test them, try them, stick with the one that works best for you. Um, me personally, I'm a, I am a big fan of Riverside. Uh, I started working with them as they were the first to really roll out this video component. So I started to work with them and, and truthfully, I can't say I've had a lot of problems with them personally recording on Riverside. Maybe once I didn't get a recording off them, but again, I always record locally. So I have a backup of both me and my guest voice. It's not great, but it's better than having to re-record and going through that frustration. Then, like you said, there's Zoom. Zoom works. The thing about Zoom is it works. Everybody can do it. Everybody can connect to it. Everybody can get on their mobile device and everybody can, it'll get you a conversation. And so even clients who are using Riverside, who are using Squadcast, all those different things, what I tell them is if you are running into a problem, if your guests can't connect to Riverside, if Riverside does something funny in the middle of your recording, if you're getting more than two minutes of frustration, stop, open up Zoom, send them a link, get the conversation. I'd rather you have 55 minutes of 
medium quality conversation than 12 minutes of high quality frustration and and lack of depth in the content that you want to get into. Right? Because once you run into technical difficulties, guests are going to be like, Ugh, are we doing this? What's going on? You're wasting my time, right? You're not going to have a good conversation or you're not going to get started for 20 minutes. You're going to run out of time. You're going to be, you know, butting up against the clock. It's not worth the frustration. It's just not. Get get as much time as you can with a person at a medium quality versus the most high quality, pristine recording of people not wanting to talk to you anymore. That would be my advice. Lastly, it's okay, by the way, it's Zoom for someone to even just call in. Listen, is the quality of the phone call going to sound as good? No, the fidelity is not nearly as tight as a microphone or anything else, but it works, right? Phone lines work. You pick them up, you dial the phone, they tend to connect unless you're in a cell phone, you know, traveling in an elevator, going into a subway station, your cell phone or your home phone is typically going to work and connect. So again, I'd rather you get high quality conversation at a slightly lower quality fidelity than, than super high quality of nothing. Um, so that's kind of the way I, I think about it when it comes to remote recording. So again, starting at the top, people in person, microphones, recorders. If not, guess another podcasters, record themselves, connect however you want to. If you can't, if you, you know, can't do that, get one of these platforms that does the recording for you, find the one that works best for you, test them out, you know, figure out what the quirks are, work through them. And if you can't do that, yeah, it's okay to work on Zoom. It really is okay to work on Zoom. Do I like Zoom? No. Is the quality great? Not necessarily, but we've all been using Zoom for the past two years in the pandemic to do everything. It's okay right now if your podcast is on Zoom. But even me, I tell all my clients who have to use Zoom, at least the host, record your microphone. I'd still like to get the host sounding consistently good week to week to week, even if the guest isn't great. And also, if you're doing it on Zoom and you hear something funny, stop. Oh, you know what? I think you broke up for a second. You mind repeating that? Because the chances if it sounds funny to you, it's not in the recording. It's going to sound bad in the recording. Zoom isn't magically replacing stuff that it didn't hear because the connection got out. So yeah, it's a little bit more thinking, a little bit more work, but that's how I would consider doing it. I love that. It actually reminded me of a lesson I learned in a previous world where I used to work with generator companies and that all live events, all live broadcast events are done on backup power. And an uh, interesting example is the Oscars. So the Oscars is not connected to the utility, the entire broadcast. There's a massive generator power plant set up in the parking lot to power the Oscars because they can't afford the Oscars to go down during the recording. And so like anytime you see like an ESPN broadcast out in front of a ba uh, baseball game, a football game, all of that is always done with the backup generator not connected to the grid for that reason of making sure that it works because you can't afford to fail when you're live on TV. And so it's one of those things that most people never think about. But then once you know, it's like, oh, that kind of makes sense. And I think what you also highlighted that I hadn't fully connected with when people start podcasting, they always kind of start with what they know. And mostly Zoom is that first thing that's the most common piece of advice started. And I would tell everybody to start on Zoom because if that makes you uncomfortable, make it easy so that way you can get the publishing because that's the most important part of podcasting. But the problem with it is you don't know what you don't know. I mean, how many podcasters still to this day have never considered like an idea that the tech could actually record locally a real good quality file of the audio and then put it to the cloud afterwards? I mean, that's a thought that probably less than 
maybe 25% of podcasters they even are aware of has a resource to do it. So there's a huge gap in what you don't know that you don't know. And in this case, I think it's just the context of that you should have in your mindset working towards getting a more real, consistent producer quality file in whatever you can do and whatever next step seems the right next step. And I think that's something that I know I often get overwhelmed when I hear information like that. Like, oh man, once you know you should be doing something differently or it sounds better once you do it differently, then you start saying like, oh man, I need to figure that out. I don't need to spend time doing it. If that's going to take you away from what you're doing, don't worry about it. Work with what you've got, but always know where you should be. And for me, like I use Zoom because it makes my process super simple because it integrates my calendar. It sends a Zoom link automatically with anybody that schedules. And for me, that's super valuable. I don't want to deal around with finding the link and make sure they get the link and they don't know how to join. It's just there. It's done. And I value that. And so until I value something differently and I can change that process, I go with what is in front of me. But I also know everything that Matthew talked about, and I know where I'm supposed to be going and making sure that I keep that in the back of my head is like, is now the right time to do that? No. Okay. So then I'll just put it off. And there's another frame of mindset that I often think about is, is this the right season in your podcast? Not like seasons of podcasting, but is this the right season in your growth journey of podcasting to focus on that? Because it's not something that's always right there at the top of mind to fix. And it's not something you should always do if there's other things that are more important or those real insecurities that are going to prevent you from publishing every week, those are to me always the highest hanging fruit. Make sure you knock those out because those are the ones that are going to prevent you from podcasting and anything that prevents you from hitting publish every week. I mean, that to me is the one like the, the scary, scary part of podcasting is working on those because you never want to get to a point where you're not publishing. Well, and again, if all of this is great, but if your content isn't secured, if your strategy isn't secured, it doesn't matter, right? I'd rather have medium quality fidelity, you know, quality of audio, but really valuable content than pristine studio quality sound, but content that sucks. Nobody has ever listened to a podcast and said, man, these two are boring as hell, but the quality was excellent. Right. They've never no one's going to stay on and listen to it just because the quality is good. So make sure you have a strategy. Make sure you have content. Make sure you're like the, the quality of your recording. There's a minimum viable level, but you can always improve. And again, I think the two is one. One is none is a military thing. So I'm sure you've heard of that in your, you know, in oh, your yeah, the, within redundant mindsets of if you don't have a backup to the backup. You're not really. Yeah. So like that is just. Just a mentality to get yourself into is always try and always have a backup, have a backup recording, have a backup plan for an episode. You know, you have to assume something is going to go wrong because if you don't plan for it and it happens, you're in trouble. Whereas if you plan for it, you pivot, you do it, and then you're fine. You, you know, you don't feel as bad because you had something in place. I love that. And it. It just kind of what we did today is we opened it up for you so that you didn't know what you didn't know before we recorded this episode today. And now that you know what you need to know, you can be thinking about what you want to massage and change within your process of podcasting. And also there's something that we talked about, we hinted at it and we can maybe cement it here is making sure that whatever process you're doing is baked into your interview onboarding process. Like that's something else within all of this is lowering the barrier for that guest 
so that they don't get frustrated, that they have everything they need when they get ready to jump on. And it's just as important to have a local recording as it is to make the guests feel comfortable and informed about the recording process and whatever that process may be and understanding upfront what can happen. So you can mitigate a lot of risks of recording just by making sure the guest is aware of what next steps, what preparation, like even for example, the, the hidden trick of podcasting that the best place to record is actually your closet because all the clothing in your closet is actually creates this deafening effect to make sure that's all you hear is your sound. I mean, things like that are things like a person that doesn't podcast aren't going to know, but that making sure that they sit in a room that's not completely empty because the echo is horrible in a like room, room without any now. carpet. Like the room I'm sitting in right now. Yes, but you don't have that effect. <laughs> but there are effects where I've seen like, man, the echo in, your, in the room is just horrible for uh, coming through. And I've even seen it in my, my office where if my blinds are down, it absorbs more deafening of the echo than when they're up. So I even make sure that I'm often, although I don't have them down right now because I like to see the sun out during, <laughs> during the day, but I often think about that when I'm recording because it does affect but these, all these things. It's these little things like the recording, the quality, the guest recording. I think it's about the experience of what you can provide them and the more calmer the experience, the more comfortable they're going to be and the better the content will be. Bunch of little th changes, a bunch of small factors can have a, an outsized effect if they, you know, when you add them all up. And if you wanted to give Riverside a check or a test out, go ahead and check us out at podcastmeanything.com forward slash Riverside for a free trial and to check out what we use to record the podcast, to re record locally, to get 1080p video quality of our conversations locally recorded as well, not transmitted over the internet. And it's all uploaded in the background as we record. So just a few minutes after we're done recording, everything is already in the cloud. It's already the local files of that uploaded. So again, podcastmeanything.com forward slash Riverside. And if you would like to submit a question to us, head on over to podcastmeanything.com as well. There is a button over on the side to submit your question that we'll go ahead and answer on the air. Matthew, thank you for joining us today on another episode of Podcast Anything, and I look forward to our next conversation next week. Likewise. Talk to you later, Ben.